Hey, what's going on? Jason Bay here. You can call me J-Bay. This is a podcast for sales reps and sales leaders who love landing big meetings with their prospects, but hate sending hundreds of cold emails that get very little responses. So if that's ever happened to you before, you're definitely in the right place. Today, I'm talking to two good friends, Taylor Duncan and Shane Schoen, and we're going to be talking about tactics that recruiters use in cold emails to pattern interrupt and what you can do and how you can use some of these as a sales rep. Let's get to it. So I go way back with these two guests. I met Taylor, I think this was maybe 2008 or 2009, when I was working with the house painting company that I've talked a lot about on this podcast. So when I was going door to door selling house painting services as a freshman in college, he, I believe, was a, a VP of sales at that time, and he spent a ton of time with that company. And that's where I really learned my sales and you know prospecting chops. And uh, Shane met the same sort of way. Taylor was out in Chicago. Shane met him when he was living up in Seattle uh, here in the Pacific Northwest. So it's really good to reconnect with these guys and to see them off and doing really cool stuff. And they both run a recruiting company called Next Level. It's NXT. And one thing that they really specialize in is hiring technical folks, especially in the gaming industry. And when I talked to these guys and caught up, what was really cool is that they're doing a ton of creative things to get people's attention through emails. And one of the things that we're going to talk about today is the difference between spamming and cold outreach. So I think there's this really big misconception over what mass blast is and what sending bulk email is and, and the difference between spamming someone versus emailing someone that's not expecting your email. One of the things he's going to talk about too is how to get referrals through your emails. On the company side, one of the big things that they leverage is personal relationships and personal tidbits about the person. So one of the things that we're going to talk about is not being afraid to personalize and even send an email to someone's personal email address or calling them on their cell phone, which you know I'm a big advocate of. The other thing too is we talk a lot about the likability factor and how important that is through the prospecting process to demonstrate that you're a normal, like cool human being. <laughs> so we're going to talk a lot about some really cool stuff today. Before we get to the episode, uh, if you're listening to this and you're a rep, and you want to go above and beyond the podcast and the LinkedIn content, all the other stuff out there and get help from me leveling up your sales game. We're starting a program called Outbound Squad. And the concept here is how do you get your mastery, uh, masters excuse me, in sales? So when you think about how you prospect, how you sell, because we're going to be helping with that too, your personal brand. The goal here is working over a 12-month period together to help you level up and add another $1,000, $2,000 per month to your monthly income. So it's going to be really focused on putting you in a group with people, getting coaching, and really getting access to a great accountability you know, for you sh to show up every day. So let me know if that's something you're interested in. I'm really super excited about it. We get some really good reps in there right now. You can email me at jason at blissfulprospecting.com and just put squad in the subject line. I'll get you some more information. And we also work with companies too. So if you're looking for some really great training to help your team implement a lot of the strategies that we're going to talk about today in the podcast, make sure to email me again, Jason at blissfulprospecting.com. We're working with a lot of cool companies right now. And, and I'm just positive you're not going to find any better content out there when it comes to outbound, especially you know, getting that first meeting through your cold emails, your cold calls, et cetera. So without further ado, let's get to the podcast today. So I'm curious for you guys, 
with COVID, you know, that's kind of the big thing in the last year and a half is how has this changed sales and people are working remote and people are working from home. And there's like these kind of hybrid situations with salespeople for what you guys are doing with recruiting. What's changed for you guys in the last year and a half? Yeah. So I would say like for, for me, one of the biggest things is the way that we used to do uh, sales specifically in recruiting. So putting kind of like the candidates aside and we could talk about that later, but starting off with is just like the B2B sales aspect of things. You know, originally one of the things that I was taught from day one was calling into dial directories and calling into like a phone tree. And, uh, you know, I, I was spending a lot of time investing my skill sets and, you know, even figuring out how do you hack a system if the dial directory isn't even readily available or, you know, getting really, really good at swindling a receptionist into introducing me to someone. And so that was like a major skill set that I had for a long time. And over the last 12 months, dial directories, phone trees, et cetera, they just don't exist anymore. Uh, we're not using them. Matter of fact, a lot of the new salespeople that we've had and has started back in 2020, a lot of them were right out of college, right out of school. And if I asked any of them, you know, do you know what a dial directory is? Or, you know, hey, call a dial directory. They would look at me sideways and have no idea what I'm even talking about right now. And uh, that's completely changed the way that we approach our sales because we don't have this major corporate strategy on how to do biz dev that way anymore. And we've had to change our approach almost to the exact same way that we're uh, targeting candidates, which is like with personal cell phone numbers, personal emails, maybe corporate emails if we're using like a seamless.ai or something that allows us to pull data faster. But a lot of what we're doing nowadays is like personal contact information or trying to find people on a more personal approach. And sometimes it's like, I'm almost feeling like a repo car guy or a somebody that's trying to track down somebody because like there's there's been a win that I even got, you know, early last year where I was having the COO that I was targeting pretty pretty heavy nonstop. And I found out that he was a part of like this association with his wife. And I found an email that was like Bruce and Lois at, you know, end of their email uh, dot com. And I was able to send like a really personalized email about the thing that they were both fond of and the wife ultimately ended up reading it. And the wife introduced me to the husband and essentially told the husband that he had no choice, that he had to the work real with decision me. maker. <laughs> yeah. The real decision maker. And so like little things like that, like I, I don't think that if I had a dial director, if I exclusively used business emails, I would have ever had that opportunity to work with the wife and maybe the husband wouldn't have even been in the office, the room next door, you know, as workmates to knock on the door and say, Hey, go respond to Shane. And it's, totally changed the dynamic of how we've been doing business in a lot of ways. And it feels like the way that we're contacting candidates for a new job is almost the exact same way that we're starting to prospect new business. Very much so. So what are your thoughts on, yeah, but you know, and again, you mentioned no more dial directories, no more phone trees, or at least those seem to be kind of a thing of the past, but that's, that was COVID. That was every office was shut down and people were, 90% 90% were remote or very, very high percentage. What's going to happen in the next five years, this post-COVID, post-pandemic, as people start reopening office space? You know, we're hearing some clients talk about we're going back in and have a phone system in office. Is that done? Is that a thing of the past? I don't even know why that still exists when you think about it, because it's really interesting, you know, kind of question with when's the last time you guys used a landline phone? You know, I, ha- I, ha- I had one forever in uh, my house in Chicago because we were told 
what if your kids ever need to dial 911? You should have one. I thought, well, that's not a bad idea. And it like it was some bundle package, but we had it for 10 years in Chicago. And literally in 10 years, I don't know that we once picked up the phone. I, I couldn't tell you the phone number. So, I mean, yeah, landlines are, I guess, a thing of the past. I, I don't know. My sister, again, her first job out of college was selling phone systems, like the hardwired phone systems into small businesses for Lucent Technologies. And she was number one salesperson in the country. But I don't even think that job exists anymore. It's like Blockbuster, right? It's like being a Blockbuster video worker. Yeah. It's really kind of interesting because, I mean, every, like when I've started, because one thing we all have in common here on this call is we used to work for a company that painted a lot of houses, (laughs) right? And one of the things when I left that company the first time was I started a house painting company. And that's the first thing is, well, what phone number are we going to use? Do I put my cell phone on there? Do you start a landline uh, number? Do you get a phone? And I just used grasshopper.com. And it was this virtual thing. They would just forward the calls to my phone. I was like, oh, the people that are calling this number don't know the difference. And I'm actually seeing that in a lot of organizations where you're calling a number and it feels like you're calling the office, but it's all virtual. And a lot of these people have those numbers forwarded right to their cell phones. Yeah, Grasshopper, even Google Voice, or you can, we did that all the time when and we, you know, when you're trying to call, you know, an, an outbound call to make sure that your phone number is, matches the area code that you're calling, right? Or at least someone in California or whatever. So, um, yeah, I don't know. Or even text, even text has been a business development tool where, you know, you even used I mean, we're not using it as much right now, but we used it for a little bit, which is like bomb bomb type of stuff where you can create like, uh, or video art where you can create like this more personalized video, even in a text format. So it doesn't feel like a long text and you're like a breakup text. You're like, am I in trouble? Uh, and instead you could have like these videos that allow you to chat with people, which has been kind of interesting. So you guys brought up something that I want to dig into though. And it's this almost a removal of formality. It sounds like when you're approaching companies now where I'm not going to be afraid to call this person's cell phone or send them a text or email them at their Gmail <laughs> email address, you know, kind of thing. Can you, for the people listening, give them a little context? Cause most of them are going to be salespeople and there's some recruiters in there, but how did you traditionally look at how you would approach a company versus a candidate? Andy, can you share more about this? Hey, I'm going to be a little more personal, actually, even if it's a C level person at a really large company, I'm just going to treat them like an individual. Um, can you share a little bit more about that? Yeah. I mean, I, for me, I, that's how I look at it. That's how I approach it. Maybe because I am a C-level <laughs> person. I don't know. I looked at my own personal emails. Which ones did I like get rid of? Every single one that sounded like it came from a business. LinkedIn requests. When it sounds like you're coming to me to ask me for something and I don't know you and I don't care about it, I just swipe it, you know, archive it. I just don't. I get like 2000 emails a day. I don't have time for that. But when I get something that's short, sweet to the point, and it sounds semi-personal, I almost always open it and give it at least the five or 10 second, I'll give it a quick glance. So that's just how naturally I started approaching it because I'm just going to approach people like me. It's like, hey, I got an idea for you. Do you want to chat? And that's it. It's really, really simple. I think works way better. And we see a, a much larger response. And I would say 90% of the people, both candidate and B2B side of it is personal. It's to their personal email, a personal cell phone. Very little goes to a corporate email address or 
maybe it's a corporate cell phone, I guess, but almost always is going to personal emails and personal cell phones. Oh, wow. Interesting. So I want to elaborate on this a little bit because it's almost, uh, because all of us here, I think, come from B2C, right? And I've always looked at the B2B thing because there was a little bit of a learning curve in that, hey, I'm instead of selling to an individual or a husband and wife, now I'm selling to maybe there's a committee of six people and I won't even get to see four of them, you know, kind of thing. So there's a bit of a learning curve there. But the thing I always brought to it is, well, even if I'm selling to Taylor, you and Shane, I'm still selling to you as individual people. I'm not selling to your company kind of thing. Shane, maybe you can comment on that a little bit. What's the, and especially when you train the people that are working for you, how do you get them to kind of think of it like, dude, you're not prospecting to a business. This is an individual's attention that you need to get. Yeah, I think there's a benefit to starting your career into a B2C community where you are learning how to sell the person that you're calling immediately. And I think that there's like this honey trap almost, or this concept of like, well, I'm doing B2B sales and it's totally different. And it's like, not really. It's always your B2C component where whoever you're talking to is who you ultimately just sell And you might not be selling for tangible dollars, but you might be selling for just like buy-in. And the buy-in is like, hey, I like you and maybe I trust you and I'm going to pass you on to the next person. So the sell and that exchange is that introduction to that next gatekeeper where at the end of the day, there needs to be this exchange of a lateral move to the next person that you're talking to. And if you can treat B2B sales like a B2C component, it'll allow you to see those incremental changes and hit those milestones to get to that next level and to get to the next person and to ultimately get the dollars that you need and want. The real difference is like that instant gratification piece. Like you're not getting tangible dollars. You're not getting a a customer yet. You're just getting these small little exchanges of introduction currency or loyalty currency, whatever currency you want to call it, that is getting you to that longer, it's a longer sales cycle, right? So like B2C, you're like, okay, I've got this product buy now. Okay, I've got this service, buy now. And when you're doing B2B sales, it just might mean that there's a layer of mini sales, micro transactions that need to happen before you get that $10,000, $50,000, $100,000 check coming in. The sales cycle is just longer. But if you treat it like B2C and you recognize what is an exchange or a win of services, I think that you ultimately start becoming a lot better at your job and a lot more fulfilled in what you're doing. Uh, And I think for a lot of salespeople, they overlook the small wins for short-term exchanges. And I think that's a big problem. I used to look at my starting out in B2C when I first got into working with B2B companies like 2013, 2014, I thought it was a disadvantage actually. I was like, I wish that I sold B2B I sold software or some sort of service and that sort of stuff. And um, I would never, I'm curious your guys' thoughts, going door to door selling house painting services, I there was never any corporate speak. I would never bring a level of formality into there because I would it would make me feel uncomfortable and I'd feel like a complete dork for being super formal. What do you think it is that in this B2B setting, why do you feel like people need to feel this need, this urge to be formal? Because I think this is the art of prospecting part. It's just the art of being a freaking human being. You know what I mean? It's my biggest pet peeve. Like if there was, my biggest pet peeve is like, I will treat Mark Zuckerberg at Facebook the exact same way that I'm going to treat the janitor for Facebook. Like there is no major difference. The difference is, is like, 
does that janitor like me? Does Mark Zuckerberg like me? Like, can I get somebody to befriend me? Because again, like even, especially in B2B sales, you know, again, when we talk about like microtransactions of like, if somebody likes you, if they trust you, if they want to buy from you, they need to like you first. And if they buy from you and don't like you, you will have a small sales cycle and you will maybe have one transaction versus multiple transactions. And I think that sometimes when you're overly formal, you don't build the relationship that's going to last long-term where they keep coming back to you over and over again, unless you're some sort of like supplier that you're one of three and like you are the cheapest of three. And that's the reason why they're making the decision. You're not going to see future sales. So my biggest pet peeve is like when people try to add that formality thing because they think it's professional, but they forget that the relationship that you're building should be the thing that you're valuing the most. And people sacrifice that for this false conception of what they believe is going to help them earn a deal. Uh, Taylor, I want to direct this question over to you as a follow-up to Shane's to get your thoughts. So just as a follow-up to your point there around likability, Shane, I think what would be really interesting, I'd love your take on Taylor, is this piece of, in B2B sales, oftentimes there's this thinking that the relationship is not important. You know, the getting beers together or going golfing together, like that's completely out of the window. You don't need to do any of that kind of stuff anymore. And I almost see this from people that do what I do, sales trainers talking about, it's about finding the problem and, and being able to show value and that you can fix it. And it's like the relationship part, having a basic rapport and likability with a prospect almost seems like a lost art, but I'd love to get your perspective on the, how do you guys think about likability in your sales or recruiting process? And wh- what factor does that play? I understand why with technology growing, it is all about what has the best solution and it's a new solution every day and everything else. I, I think it is still an invaluable skill. We still preach, preach, preach the idea of building rapport, building a relationship. And in fact, I would go a step further from just the biz dev side of it. For anyone who on here is more in the account management side, the relationship is everything to keep your account happy and so on. So yeah, I mean, I guess you could make the argument, well, I can crack into an account and never know the guy's name or girl's name. Sure, that's possible. I think you're making a really, really disastrous long-term decision to remove the relationship and, and think strictly on, does my product solve their problem? Because it does today, but tomorrow when there's a new problem and all of a sudden I have no relationship with my current provider, well, then I'm just going to go to my next provider. But if I have a good relationship, I can bring up our new problems and they can talk through how they're working at you know identifying solutions to the new problem that exists. And you know, I mean, we all do this. We all purchase software having zero relationship with whether it's Zoom. I mean, I had Zoom for six months and overnight I switched to Google, right? Google Meets. Sorry, Zoom, if you're a sponsor of this, but, you know, overnight switched providers because it was software. I don't know anyone at Zoom. I don't care. I have no connection to Zoom outside of they were the original teleconferencing platform to use. And actually, prior to that, as you might remember, JB, I think you were the one who got us in our old company onto uh, Cisco WebEx, right? And that was horrible. We could never get audio to work and so on. So right when Zoom came out, boom, move over to Zoom. And then Google Meets comes out in our Hangouts, and we moved over to that. And you know, tomorrow, I'll move to a new one if it's better, because I have no relationship at Google, Zoom, Cisco. I, I don't care about any of them. However, if 
the person at Google, and I was connected to the person who sold the provide, you know, who, who created a relationship with me, and all of a sudden Google was struggling, I would reach out to them. I would talk about, hey, we're, we're having trouble with our audio connections quite a bit or whatever it is. And they could keep me posted on updates that are coming out and how they're working on a solution. And I am certain I would stay longer with them and have a much better, just long-term relationship. So we, we make a pretty big point to really push the relationship building, whether it be on the candidate side or on the, the client side, really knowing our candidates and our clients very, very well, especially our whoever our point of contact at the, the client, whether it's an HR, it's the hiring manager or whatever. We want to know them really well. We'd like to know them on a personal level. We'd like to understand what makes them tick because we are trying to bring a candidate over to them. We need to know that they're going to culturally fit because that's always a big deal in, in companies. And so, yeah, I, I don't. I think the idea of removing the relationship from the sale is a giant mistake. Matter of fact, if I even had to add to that, I think that when me and Taylor look back at the last, let's call it six months, I think that there was a portion where we made a giant mistake where we were like, delivery is king and subs, like delivering people is king and, and, and sending over and being a service is king. And then we started reducing the amount of account management things that we were doing, which was more of just like the relationship building meetings. So like every once a week or so checking in with who our like partners were at their respective company that we were servicing. And we started re-engaging in that over the last six weeks. And we've gotten several referrals. Our quality is increasing. Our ability to deliver is starting to increase. And our ability to win has been increasing. And there was this point where we were more of like, let's deliver and deliver and deliver. And we diluted the relationship building part for it a little bit. And we started adding that back in over the last, let's call it six to eight weeks and we've seen it starting to increase our ability to close new business way more than ever before. Matter of fact, we just won an account because they were using a service provider um, that was out in, I, I believe it was like Boston or Massachusetts or somewhere in New York, somewhere in the Northeast. And we just happened to be in Nashville. And this guy was just like, I hate our account manager. He's terrible. He overtalks, and I expect it to be a five-minute call or a twenty-minute call, and then it's an hour call and nothing of substance. And he's just like, "If you guys could come and grab a beer with me, like you have an opportunity." And we legit just went down, grabbed a beer with him, and we were able to hang out. And now he's like in love with us and completely dropped the previous provider because he just wasn't able to even just be social with the person and wasn't able to show them the office or wasn't able to do other things outside of what our core business value is. He wanted to hang out, which is how we won business this, like, what was that? Like last month, two months ago? Yeah, well, let's get real. You know, Bay, you were talking about why you're hearing it from content providers who do stuff like what you're doing. It's clickbait. Yeah, (laughs) they're trying to give something new, especially during COVID. Hey, you don't need a relationship. Come watch my podcast or whatever. And people are watching and going, oh, I don't need a relationship. Great, because I'm remote, they're remote, no relationship needed. Sure, it may have gotten more clicks because of it, but that's not reality. The reality is we have one of our best client relations, and it's because it's a person in our backyard. We were able to go to their office, meet them, say hi to them. And if we ever needed to, we could go back there. We could easily get back there. And I think you'll see a big resurgence again. I do believe there's going to be the pendulum is going to swing back pretty hard away from just 
this pure remote, I can do everything remote. You hear Zoom fatigue and everything else. People are just tired of it. They want to get back to just meeting in person. You know, we're actually going to be hosting a big live event in Nashville for Founders Live, which Shane and I are city leaders for, for founders and startups and things like that. And the outpouring of like, I can't wait to go. I just want to come, you know, holy cow. Let me check my calendar. Yep. June 24th. Great. Awesome. Like they're all excited to come and meet with people because these types of events, these networking events and so on have been kind of put on pause. They're dying to get back to that because they do know the relationships are what's going to raise capital for their business or, you know, build exposure at a much higher level than I saw some, you know, Facebook ad about some product versus I heard about it at this, you know, networking event and stuff like that. So I do think relationships are going to be uh, paramount in the next five years. Uh, there's so much I want to dig into here. But one, one of the things I want to ask you is how good does it feel when you get a text from someone and they just say, hey, Taylor, hey, Shane, I was just thinking about you. Hope everything's good. I'd love to check catch up soon. It feels really good to get a text like that, right? It feels really good to get a voicemail. I got a voicemail from one of my, uh, Barry Parker. You guys know Barry Parker? Oh, yeah, Barry. Yep. And uh, my best friend, and he called me, God, four or five months ago. I saved the voicemail on my phone, maybe uh, older than, and all it was is, hey, dude, I just want to catch up, man. I was thinking of you. would love to hear how things are going. You know, we haven't gotten to hang out as much because I've been living in Texas all this time and he's in Oregon and it makes me feel so good. And I think that 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 element right there is completely overlooked where there's a lot of these SDRs and BDRs right now where all they do is prospect. I love how people are like, all they do is prospect. It's like the hardest thing to do, right? But they're getting these meetings and they completely cut off conversation in relationship with the person after that. You're never going to get a referral from someone you don't have a relationship with. They're putting their personal brand at stake by introducing you to a friend or colleague. And you guys totally nailed it there with the referrals. And what I'm curious about is the, like with this referral piece, is there any sort of intentionality that you guys put into the referral kind of thing? Is there a system? Is there a process? Is it something you ask for? Because this is something I get asked a lot too is, how do you ask for a referral? When should you ask for a referral? At what stage in the process should you? How do you guys think about referrals? And I think this is the really underlooked part of prospecting is, is asking for referrals. But how, how do you guys think about that in, in your line of work? So I always ask the question, why would you not start to ask for referrals the moment you meet somebody? Uh, so I, I'm really big into like immediately asking for referrals. You know, it could be on meeting number one. It could be, I'm not ready for your services. And it's like, cool. So like, let me explain what my services are. And then you could tell me whether or not you know somebody that might be experiencing a pain point that I could talk to. Every single one of our recruiters, if they are talking to somebody and there's a company that they love, like, hey, you're at id Software and I love playing Doom. Like, I would love to help support the next iteration of Doom. Like, how do I earn your business? Who do you, who can you introduce me to to help earn business from id Software? And so all, we, it's something that we're training our recruiters to do. And they're not even salespeople. And, and we're doing it from day one. And so I actually love referral business all the time. And in the recruiting world, well, yeah, man, it's, it's your lifeblood. It's your heartbeat. And if you're not asking for referrals, you might as well shoot yourself in the foot. But you know, from an established clientele basis, delivering results will get them thinking about referrals more and more often. So we always establish and start planting seeds immediately about referrals from day one, always and forever. And then as we start 
to deliver more and more as we continue to ask for it. It's all a matter of luck and creating luck. And I'm a big believer in luck is literally just the opportunity, uh, more opportunities arising and just being prepared to grab them, right? So how do you increase yourself from being lucky and getting referrals? It's just putting yourself out there to have the opportunity to talk about referrals from day one, and then they start to come. And yeah, I, I mean, we have four referrals in our pipeline today for new business development. We just had a call with a game studio out in Boston, and we just had a software company. And I literally got five referrals in the last week. And to be honest with you, as much as I love cold calling, because I do, I had to cold call to get any of those. So he brought that up because he knows I don't believe at all in luck. And I am a firm believer against luck. And he actually just proved my point. There wasn't luck. It's more and more and more opportunities. And the numbers will always work in your favor. So that wasn't lucky. That was actually by doing it often, his opportunities became more often. And boom, he would found success. But he's right. Like, And he said, you know, we, these are recruiters, not salespeople. Well, recruiters in many ways are salespeople, right? That's there's so much overlap there. It's remarkable. And the recruiters are constantly asking because the easiest way to get your foot in the door anywhere is if someone refers you to that person, right? Hey, you know, Jay Bay, are you looking for a new role as an SDR? Oh, you're not. Okay, cool. Do you know someone who is? And you mentioned Barry Parker. I reach out to Barry and say, hey, Barry, Jason told me to reach out to you. I got a role for you. Nine times out of 10, Barry is going to be open to talk to me. It is going to be very easy to get my foot in the door with Barry because I'm able to name drop essentially that Jason Bay referred him over. And it makes it really easy conversation because of the referral piece from the recruiting side. And then Shane was talking from the B2B side. Yeah. All of our recent clients or most of our recent clients have come through uh, referrals. Yeah, it's this. Uh, it's again another lost art. You know, it's simply asking. It's something I don't do a good enough job of, actually, because if you, you know, if you're prospecting into, I don't know, marketing people, VPs of marketing. Well, guess what? Any good VP of marketing is going to be well networked and in groups with other marketing executives. And you do a good job with them. They're not thinking about referring you business usually, unless you got a really tight relationship. So just asking get someone's brain thinking, it kind of plants that seed like you guys were talking about where the next time they have that conversation, like, oh, dang, yeah, I got to introduce you to Taylor and Shane. You guys need a whatever, you know? So I love this piece on referrals. I want to get into and make sure we have some time for, you guys are doing some really cool stuff on just the outreach side that I think is really cool. And again, the whole theme here and bringing you guys on for those listening is that there's some really interesting things that just because it's recruiting doesn't mean it's it's the same function. It's the, literally the same exact thing that you're doing from a prospecting standpoint. So how do you guys think about, maybe we first start on the candidate side. What, what are some cool things that you guys are doing to get candidates' attention these days? Because I know you're coming out and offering a job, but there's a lot of really terrible recruiters out. I mean, I get recruiting messages that are just insane, right? They're so atrocious. So it's uh, I get that you're offering a job and that sort of stuff, but it is, it's not like an easy thing to get someone's attention and get them to respond. So what kind of creative things are you guys doing on the candidate front to, to get people's attention? So one of the things that we started implementing um, earlier this year, a couple of months ago, is we started realizing that we wanted to be different, right? And I think a part of that was like, I did a lot of Sandler's training kind of sales uh, in the past. And one of those was just like, how do you do something different than what everybody else is doing? Because like at the end of the day, you're in the noise. So how do you stop being in everybody else's like ball game? And part of that was like, most people get like job descriptions and they get like a plain, boring 
generic text, right? And so there's no substance, there's no feeling, there's no emotion. And so one of the things that we started doing is almost creating like these movie-like commercials. So if you check out our YouTube channel that has our, our videos on it, you know, we've got these gameplay roles or these software engineering roles or these VPs of product or CTO roles, uh, whatever we're working on. And we're starting to create these video job descriptions that are a lot more interactive where we can verbally describe what we're looking for. We can write out the job description. We can add these visual aids. We can put in music and stuff that kind of draws out more of an emotional pull to capture more attention and get people more engaged. And most people just aren't reading our job descriptions. So even if it was the perfect role, there's, there's nothing cool or sexy there. And so we started creating these video ads that have not only generated a higher response rate and an interest rate via email, but we're seeing that when we get it on LinkedIn or we put it on other social media channels, people are starting to share it, comment on it, connect with us. And we're getting a lot more inbound engagement from doing these activities that nobody else is doing. We don't see anybody else creating these like, like really fun, unique videos that like kind of sell what we're trying to do. And then we started doing like TikTok stuff and like our team does like a bunch of TikTok stuff. And it's like, I'm not big into TikTok, but apparently other people are and it's working. Uh, we had like a TikTok that had 55,000 views and I, I don't understand why, but like it's working. And it's just like, we're trying to do anything and everything. And we're noticing that it's starting to leverage our time. And because like one-to-one outreach only gets so much. Sequence outreach using you know, outreach or HubSpot, it only does so much. So like, how can you do things a little bit different to create a higher level of engagement has been a lot of fun for us. So I think it's reinvigorating our sales and reinvigorating our recruiters and our, we have this marketing function that's a lot of fun. So I think externally, it's creating a lot more engagement. I think internally, it's also adding a little bit more excitement. But we do have to have the balancing act of like the amount of time that it takes to do these things versus the amount of actionable activity that we're getting inbound or response rates. So those are the fun balancing act that we have to do right now with it. But yeah, I think those are a lot of the creative stuff. I think from less creative and more to the point, it's a lot of stuff even that you preach all the time, JB. It's short. It's, you know, as, as Shane says, radically transparent, as I say, completely honest, five sentences, four sentences of what you want. Why you're reaching, and I think part of why when you say I get these recruiters reach out to me and it's obnoxious, it, many times I'll bet you you get a recruiter reach out to you, and it is something that is so far away from anything that you would ever be involved in, and you're like jaw drop, like you clearly have no idea who I am, and what I consider that I consider that spamming, right? There's I think there's a that we need to draw a really really significant dark line in between cold calling which I think is a good activity for everyone who's listening. And that's, you know, it's means you don't have an engaged relationship yet, but you you're reaching out to them. And then there's spam calling or spam emailing, which we all get, you get them from recruiters or someone calling to have you yesterday. I got one that was calling for my student loans. I don't have student loans. I haven't had student loans for 10 years now, but I was, I had student loan forgiveness call yesterday. It's like, you clearly don't know who I am. It's a spam thing, right? So our goal though, is much more personalized. So it's, we're targeting people who do fit what we're looking for. And we're in, in our response to them in this short email to them, there is something that shows them, we know who you are. I like the work that you've done at 
AWS. I really appreciate the project you worked at at Bungie Studios or whatever it is, rather than just, hey, I'm reaching out to you to uh, get a job, you know, laying, laying concrete. And the person's like, I'm in the video game industry. Why'd you reach out to me? This makes no sense. So it's much more, it's personalized, but it's very short. Get to the point really quick. And then the last thing that we're doing that I think is creating a, a much better engagement and opportunity for referrals. We're telling people, if you're not interested, please let us know and we'll stop reaching out to you. But what that does is it gets engagement. Almost everyone's pretty nice. And now we say, that's awesome. Glad that you're happy at the role you have. Do you have any one that you think might be good for this role as a uh, AI programmer? And like you said, J-Bay, AI programmers are pretty well networked with AI programmers. And we're finding a pretty good amount of like referrals coming from those too. So that is an area where everyone is pretty well trained. If you get a, someone says, no, thanks, ask for referrals. And one out of every five or 10 people comes back with, we had one come back with a list of 20, 20 referrals. Like, you know, you can imagine that's worth their weight in gold, right? I love the distinction that you made between spamming and cold outreach. Because cold outreach has this dirty kind of thing to it. And like, you know what? The fastest growing companies in the world do a lot of cold outreach, actually. Yeah, they might have a lot of brand awareness and people know who they are, but I get a lot of cold outreach from companies like Salesforce. HubSpot says they don't do outbound. They only do inbound. But you know what? They serve up a piece of content in an ad. If you click on that ad and you give a phone number or they find an email address and they can sync it back, you're going to get a cold call, you know, from them. So I love that distinction. And then the... Back to the referral piece, one, one other thing I think that's really important, and you alluded to this, was that you got to think about the experience that you're putting the person through that you're doing the cold outreach on or the sales experience, whatever it is. And when you ask for a referral, what the person's thinking about is, am I willing to let a friend go through the same experience? So you guys are reaching out and it's very personalized and there's a, a value add in this. You're trying to help the person. It's personalized. It's intentional for them you know what, I don't mind letting my friends go through that experience too, versus just getting randomly spammed with something that's completely irrelevant. The amount of trust that that person's gonna have that you're gonna take care of their friends is gonna be extremely low. You know, so I think that's a really important thing to, to point out there. Uh, and then one other thing I wanted to ask you about, Shane, was I love this thinking around the content that you're sharing and you're essentially thinking about what's the shareability of the stuff that I'm sending to my prospects so that you start to get this, I call it mileage. You're, you're getting mileage out of the content. How do you guys think about like with the content? Is it a YouTube video? Is that where you kind of uh, like hosting wise in terms of the logistics of where you put the video or the thing? Is it in a really publicly accessible place like YouTube where someone could easily like share it, send it to a friend, that kind of thing? Yeah, so we have it in a couple of things. So one is it could just be in an email, right? It could be a GIF, it could be a PDF, it could be this like interactive piece of software that we've decided that we wanted to test out for that day. But we uh, most of our videos are going to be hosted on YouTube, whether that's hidden or you know publicly available. It's kind of on the discretion of the role. Some of them we don't want on our YouTube channel, but like as long as you have the link, it'll go to a unlisted YouTube channel. And um, to your point, right, it's not only just shareability, but it's like, how do you give the person that is going to do a referral some sort of like actionable insight into what they're sharing and tools to help sell you? Because I think that there is like a big bottleneck when you're trying to get these referrals. It's like, cool. So I'm like willing to try to do referrals. 
But then it's like, how do you give that person the tools to share you, to share what you're aiming for, to share what you're hoping to find? Because I think that's where a lot of uh, referrals get a massive disconnect. It's like, they might share to 100 people, but unless you give them a really cool set of tools to share who you are or what you do or why they should talk to you, the amount of response that that person is going to have is going to dramatically drop if that person isn't prepared with the right set of tools to allow them to become a referral in the first place. So how can you reduce things and give people the proper tools without giving them the burden of doing your job? I think that's so important too. And really there's a lot of lack of effort, I think, put in on the, on a rep side or a recruiter side around dude, people don't want to do any work. I mean, the, the easiest marketing lesson I could give you, and this is, I learned this a while ago is when you put up a landing page and you have three options on it versus one, there might be more things for that person to do, but if there's 10 clicks that would happen between those three things, you're going to get 20 if there's only one option. You know, it's just less work. It's less thinking, less calories the person has to burn, and you're just making it easy for them to forward something. And before we run out of time, I wanted to ask you guys about on the company side of thing, on the B2B side of stuff, it sounds like a theme is, hey, I'm not going to be afraid to go after a mobile phone number, send an email to a Gmail, you know, a personal email address, anything in particular you're seeing when getting the attention of a really busy executive? I don't know if there's a one size fits all answer. It's kind of the do whatever it takes approach and trying to be as personal as possible, right? If I could get a hold of somebody, like we had one VizDev meeting that came because we were aiming for one person and got a hold of the person's wife. And somehow we realized that they were related and we were like, can you introduce us over to your husband? And they both were executives at different companies. And we got an introduction where one of them had a need and the other one didn't. It's weird how there's a lot of wife and husband conversations in this, but like it's happened on, on a number of occasions where it's just like, it is a small world and people that are in high up positions typically know other people in high up positions. But no, I don't know if there's a one size fits all answer. It could be a phone number, an email. And I think it's just that do whatever it takes approach and like, don't feel offended because like what I've realized is whether you're reaching out to somebody on like a quote unquote professional platform in a formal manner or a personal platform on a personal manner, I don't know if it necessarily matters anymore. I can reach out to somebody on my Facebook and it's an executive and there might be something on my Facebook feed that they just get connected with. They might see that like I'm a founder of the Nashville FC and I'm, uh, you know, part of that team. And they're like, Oh, awesome. I also like soccer. Like that's something for us to find common ground on. And so I think sometimes when you start spilling in, some of your own personal values or your own personal beliefs or your own personal things that you like for fun, I think it gives them an ability to connect with you, even if they don't necessarily understand what your business does or if you're the right person for me, but there's this small smidge of connection that you have that you can share. And I know it's been an uphill battle with some of my salespeople where I'm like, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, who cares? Just like get them to see you, get them to hear you and get them to like want to chat with you. And I use everything. And I think that sometimes it's good. Sometimes it offends people, but like people tell me, don't call me, cold call me. They say, don't cold email me. And it's just like, all right, well don't do anything, but like do everything. I don't know. Like what's right from wrong. (laughs) Sometimes it gets really confusing. Yeah. I mean, it sounds like, Hey, I'm going to offend some people doing this, but it's really a pretty small majority of people. And I think, on the personal side of things, well, let me go ahead, actually, uh, before we run out of time, I'm going to get your thoughts on this too, Taylor, and then we'll kind of... Yeah, I don't worry about offending. You're going to offend people, 
with everything you do. I think the world in general needs to stop worrying about offending everyone all the like they're just people who are going to be mad. There were back when we were 18, 19 years old and we knocked on people's door. It was either too early in the morning, it was too late at night, it was at the wrong time, the baby was taking a nap. I, there's nothing you can do. There really isn't. There's just going to be 10% of the population who just don't understand the hustle. And that's just how it works. And you get over it and move on. You know, it's like there's no way to not have someone get upset with you. There's no perfect way to not, you know, except for not doing it, in which case you'll get zero results and you won't win. And that's just not okay. So you just got to accept that there are going to be people who get annoyed with no matter what you do and let it be and recognize that the vast, vast, vast majority of people have no problem as long as it's cold calling and not spam calling, as long as you're reaching out to them because, hey, I noticed the work you did at Blissful Prospecting. I thought it was awesome. Wanted to reach out to you because I have an opportunity I think might be a good fit. And really, someone's going to get mad because of that. Or, hey, I noticed you're hiring at Blissful Prospecting for these types of roles. We have a lot of specialty in those and you're going to get mad because I'm trying to help you out. I took 10 seconds of your time. I don't know. I guess I don't worry too much about offending those people. Yeah, that's it's so true. One last thing I wanted to say is that along this personal aspect is, I mean, I even put on my LinkedIn profile, hey, I like Van Halen and Def Leppard. I watch UFC. I love hiking, camping, backpacking. You know, I mentioned my dog a lot. And there's this resistance, I think, again, in B2B to not put that stuff out there. And it's, dude, put three to five personal bullet points in there. I have people all the time, people that are like 30 years older than me, old guys usually <laughs> like, you know, Jason, you like hiking? I like hiking too. You guys going hiking anywhere soon? You know, like that kind of stuff. And it's like kind of silly almost, but it, it allows us to establish a connection and they see me as a human being and not as a salesperson. And I think that's what it's about is like, I don't look at you as a recruiter or a salesperson or anything like that. You're just a person and you're, you're trying to help. Yeah. You might want to get rid of the Def Leppard part, but otherwise it also. Oh helps. no. Oh no. <laughs> Dude, I, I totally agree, man. Even like my LinkedIn profile has Riku, who's my little Shiba. He's yeah. like, you know, this little evil thing that's adorable and like takes up 90% of my life. I have him in my profile picture and I think it does wonders for me because like I, I, I get messages daily about my dog and it just, it adds to your point. It just personalization, allowing you to feel like an actual human being and somebody that they could connect with rather than like a suit and tie, like we're straight down to business and never going to talk about anything. And I think any, any business relationship or any business meeting where your first five minutes are talking about something other than business, I genuinely believe has a higher opportunity to close and a higher opportunity to win all of the time. If you're talking about business within the first five minutes, the odds of closing that deal, in my opinion, are, are, are so low. But I, I'm always like a personal approach first every time I do my sales. So I'm also biased. That's what we learned when we were 19, 20 years old. I know. Yep. Same. And it worked. It worked. It still works. Yep. Well, hey, this is an awesome conversation. We got to go. We're out of time. Where can people go to connect with you two, though? I, I, let's uh, share a little bit more about what you guys are up to, more about your company, what you guys are doing. Where can people go to find out more about you? That one's me. Okay. You can go on to like LinkedIn. You can connect with me on LinkedIn. You could go to nextlevel.io. You can check out our YouTube channel if you want to, as we're posting uh, jobs and if you're in the Nashville area, you could see us at Founders Live events as we're throwing community events for like entrepreneurs that just want to get connected with other fellow entrepreneurs. So I would say 
best area, LinkedIn is going to be the easiest way to get a hold of us. Check out, you know, Shane Shown, Taylor Duncan. That's the easiest way to get a hold of us. Cool. We'll link to both of those in the show notes. And it's next with NXT level, right? Minus the E. NXT level.io or all the different LinkedIn stuff. So, yep. That was a really fun episode. One of the big things that I think Taylor had mentioned that I liked was let us know if you're not interested and ask for a referral. You know, giving the person an easy way out is a very simple, simple thing that you can do to encourage people to respond. And you gotta remember the goal here is to start conversations when we're prospecting. Getting the people to either raise their hand or say, I'm not a good fit. Either one of those are actually okay. And you can start to actually create a funnel you know, that looks more like a funnel, like a cone instead of a T, right? So just an important lesson there. I, I really appreciate you tuning in and spending an hour with us today. If you like the podcast, I'd love if you subscribe, leave a review, all that good stuff so that we can get the show in front of more folks like you. Thanks for tuning in. We'll talk to you later.